0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today... Happy holidays, everyone. We're recording this on 420. You are probably listening to this on 421. But we got more news and more goodness to catch up on NFL Draft just a week away. You know, I really consider May the true beginning of the fantasy football offseason. I know we go year-round, but the rosters are finally going to be set up, cemented for the most part, and we can really start to grind our teeth into what's going on in August, September, and beyond. So usual Wednesday guest is on hand, Mr. Andrew Erickson. You can always find at PFF on Twitter, at Andrew Erickson underscore Andrew happy 420 and what's up man
1: dude I'm just so excited for the NFL draft that's coming up and then we can finally start to put the final pieces together of the puzzle get figure out where these rookies are going to land spend you know countless hours writing and talking about the landing spots how they fit so I'm looking forward to it
0: That makes two of us, Andrew. Exciting show on hand. Again, per usual with these Wednesday episodes, going to quickly go through some news. Then we have some good segments Uh, later on. I want to look at veteran wide receiver influence if a rookie gets picked. Andrew and I did a similar uh, segment looking at the running backs, I believe, last week. And also, we're going to look at exceptions to the idea that early round players dominate uh, your fantasy drafts. If you want, go to pff.com. I should have my draft capital article up on Wednesday. But yeah, people, over 80% of high-performing quarterbacks running backs wide receivers tight ends over the past 10 years have been drafted in those first three rounds there are exceptions and we need to try to figure out who those might be now before they find a landing spot so without further ado let's hit some news first Andrew big news uh from Monday was Mr. Alex Smith retiring you know When he came out in that Rams game and then he continued to play, he was awful. I remember just chewing him out on on like a Sunday night podcast and even asking some of my friends I know listen to it. I was like, did I come off too harsh on this guy who has an incredible comeback story? And I was just saying was awful at football because it was bad, man. I mean, those first couple of games and even like the first half of that Lions game, he just seemed understandably terrified of getting hit. I think everybody watching him was terrified of him potentially getting hit. With that said, man, he really did come back and start playing. Playing well. I mean, I felt like in the second half of that uh, Lions game near comeback, he started to actually put the ball down, push the ball downfield a little bit, ripped off a nice winning streak, ultimately got Washington in the playoffs. So, Andrew, thoughts on uh, Alex Smith, I guess, you know, retiring his entire career or anything you want to get off your chest?
1: So, he was the fantasy quarterback for in 2017 when he was basically playing with the Terry Kill, Travis Kelsey offense that Mahomes inherited, and then obviously. Blew up the league and threw for 50 plus touchdowns so again you know alex smith when he was surrounded by great talent around him was able to elevate his game you know with when he was with andy Reid and look people forget but 2011 he led a team to a 13-3 record san francisco 49ers he threw 17 touchdowns and under 3200 yards but still 13-3 records pretty good and if you look at his overall winning percentage As a starting quarterback, but the 49ers, he was just above 500. And after the 49ers, he had a 66% winning percentage. So no, he was, he not the, obviously Aaron Rodgers was the better quarterback pick in that draft, but
0: bold take Andrew, bold take,
1: (laughs) bold take, (laughs) but for the, Tough start that Alex Smith had, where it looked like, okay, he's bust, like, this is never going to turn around. He did end up kind of turning around to actually have a pretty successful NFL career. Again, not a Hall of Fame career in any way, shape, or form, but, I mean, I can't complain.
0: Yeah, man, and look, he was he never had like he was on those hardball 49er teams that just never wanted to open up the game we yeah. did see when asked him when he was asked to try to you know throw the ball downfield and put up big numbers I mean he was PFF's basically most productive deep ball passer in 2017 <laughs> y- you understand why the Chiefs moved on to Patrick Mahomes but like he could have had even like a nice late career run in Washington if that awful uh, injury hadn't have happened to him so you know look I'm a sucker for the off-script quarterbacks that you know can make the highlight of the day but We don't give enough credit to guys like Alex Smith, the veteran quarterbacks that continuously get the offense lined up right. They get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. No, it's not as sexy as some of these other uh, uh, younger guys. But, man, you know, you look at it, and for him to play since 2011, you know, consistently starting, never having over eight interceptions in a season, you know, there is a case to be made for the ball control uh, folks. Last points, and yeah, man, I mean, look, he did have some high-end moments. He wasn't just always a product of his environment. Uh, First playoff game back in 2012. A wild game, 36-32 win over the Saints. Has a 28-yard touchdown run to take the lead with two minutes left. Jimmy Graham catches a 66-yard touchdown under two minutes. Alex Smith leads a 85-yard drive in seven plays with, I believe they call it like the catch 3.0 because you had um, obviously uh, Dwight Clarks and then you had Terrell Owens in that Packers game and then Vernon Davis with a 14-yard game-winning strike with 14 seconds left. So to me, that was kind of Smith's just biggest, you know, kind of, I guess greatest moment in the playoffs also had a 45 to 44 loss to Andrew luck and the Colts where Smith threw for 378 yards, four touchdowns. I don't think he really held him back in that game, uh, arrowhead faithful. And then finally in his last game, last playoff loss, Marcus Mariota threw a freaking touchdown to himself. So yes, I realize Smith didn't always, you know, elevate his offense to the highest level it was capable of. But man, when the guy literally had that career since 2005, even before having, you know, just one of the better comeback player campaigns in a recent memory and really in the history of the award uh, was a player who could be very proud of his NFL career. So hats off to Alex Smith in retirement.
1: Didn't he help? Was he the quarterback when Dwayne Bowe had that season with like 15 touchdowns?
0: (laughs) Probably. And then the (laughs) next season where, like, no single Chiefs receiver even scored a touchdown, so you know, the t- t- tale to uh, Alex Smith in that instance. Andrew, another retirement, last one on the docket of this episode, but Jordan Reed, man, uh, you know, just another guy could not stay healthy throughout his career was kind of like the poster child of injury-prone, you know, we always had to deal with fantasy drafts. Okay, do we want Jordan Reed? Because he's going to be a top-three tight end as long as he's healthy, but unfortunately, you know, he played more than 13 games just once in his career. The one time he he did play 14 games I mean 87 catches 952 yards 11 touchdowns for the 2015 Washington football team Andrew I mean Jordan Reed <sighs> poster child of like what could have been at the tight end position I think it, it's disappointing he still had a great career but man what could have been
1: he was someone that I liked a lot I think in my first dynasty league ever the dynasty startup I took him in the third round hoping that he would be the difference maker for me but unfortunately, it was basically after I think it was going into the 2017 season. So he had got nicked up at the end of the previous year. It wasn't his, his 2015 year he was coming off of. But I was all in and I thought I, I chased the upside and it was like, if he stays healthy. But then the next four years, it was just more injuries and more injuries It just kept piling on. So I honestly don't even remember even using him a lot. But hey, that's tight end, man. It's tough to, to be in the trenches.
0: Finishes with 48 receiving yards per game, 17th all time, behind the likes of Jason Witten, Shannon Sharp, Jimmy Graham. Look, Jordan Reed's not gonna be a Hall of Famer, but he really was playing like at that level for a brief amount of time. I understand getting that golden jacket it means you need to play at that level for a longer period of time. So I'm not trying to make that argument. Just realize, you know, at his peak, Jordan Reed was in that, you know, tier one with Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski. Even in 2020, man, like Kittle gets hurt in week one. Jordan Reed comes in, everybody's Favorite streamer goes seven catches, 50 yards, two touchdowns against the Jets. I understand he wasn't the same self. Next week, I believe he got hurt. Like as he was almost catching another touchdown, like we almost saw, like Jordan Reed really start to ball out in 2020, and he finally, I guess, had enough. So Jordan Reed, man, only 30 years old. That is wild to see. Hopefully, many good days are ahead of him in life. Andrew, Washington football team, more news. They have waived Bryce Love, a uh, very popular, I guess, in this preseason. We were looking at Antonio Gibson. A lot of us thought, hey, Gibson, you know, this more severe wide receiver. I mean, he had, what, like 29 carries at Memphis. Like, it wasn't much. We did not expect Gibson to immediately get the early down role. He did. Bryce Love just couldn't stay healthy. So quite the fall from grace for the uh, 2017 Heisman runner-up and Duke Walker winner. Uh, man, he's 24 in July, so he could turn it around. But any thoughts on uh,
1: Bryce Love? I think that, well, it sucks for my dynasty teams that have him on as the (laughs) last player. So I'm going to have to cut ties with him to make some room for Uh, some of these rookies. But I think it just kind of shows you that when these guys coming out of the draft that are coming off torn ACLs and just major knee injuries across the board and they don't get draft capital attached to them, a lot of times they don't necessarily turn around again. It was Rodney Anderson, you know, two years ago, I think. And then there was the kid from Southern Carolina- uh, Lattimore, he was another guy that, you know, had entered the league with a ton of injuries, despite the fact that he had a lot of production in college. It's just the injuries sometimes you can't overcome and yeah, it sucks.
0: I mean Adrian Peterson comes back from a torn ACL and rushes for two thousand yards. Believe it or not, everybody, that's not the most common uh outcome when they have these injuries. Fingers crossed, man, because the first spot where my mind went was like, man, I hope Saquon Barkley is going to be okay moving forward. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm confidently ranking him inside. I think he's my RB4, RB5. Like, I'm not worried about him per se. It was a very early season injury. We have no reason to believe the recovery isn't going along right. But, you know, some of those running backs you mentioned, man, certainly shouldn't be taken, you know, with a full head of confidence that, that will uh, come to fruition. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette believes the Steelers are quote-unquote most likely to use their first-round pick on a running back. We've kind of been thinking this. If it's not going to be the first-round pick, it's going to be the second-round pick. But you let James Conner go. You know, Tomlin has pretty much openly said he doesn't really view any of their running backs as a workhorse type, even though he is a workhorse uh, head coach, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, D'Angelo Williams, James Conner for a year. I mean, really until the last two years, and even when Conner was healthy over the last two years, he was usually a featured guy. Before the last two years, Pittsburgh was like fantasy RB1 heaven, regardless of who was (laughs) there. there. Andrew, we got Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Williams as our top three backs. Now, where would, would, first of all, first question, would you rank any of these three backs like all that differently? You know, if they land on Pittsburgh and then second question, where would you be ranking them?
1: No, I think that Pittsburgh's probably the best spot for any of the rookies because like you said, Mike Tomlin's going to most likely give them a bell cow roll. And that's kind of what they just been missing. You know, when James Conner took over for Le'Veon Bell in that 2018 season, he was awesome in fantasy because he was the guy for 13 weeks until he got hurt at the end of the year and he was a stud he was like one of the best running backs you could get and all the years prior to that with Le'Veon bell i think that they're just trying to figure out that yes you know some of these teams work better with committees but if you have a running back on a cheap contract that's good and it's significantly better than every other running back you have again same thing that's going on in la with cam Akers. it's gonna happen same exact scenario it's like hey we were good with the bell cow. Let's go back to it instead of doing this committee thing that has made our offense significantly worse. Preach. <laughs> so I think that, so so yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily rank either of them too dramatically different, yeah. but in order, I think that Harris is the best one because I think that from a size standpoint, I mean, he fits the mold exactly. He weighs yeah. in basically the same size as Le'Veon Bell, 230, one. He is the ultimate bell cow of these three. Big three running backs in this class again. Etienne and Williams are just a little bit smaller. I know Williams like weighed in at the same at the same weight as Etienne, which really doesn't add up when you look at them. Each of them play. You'd assume that Williams is actually heavier, but again, you know we can take the pro day weigh-ins with a grain of salt, depending on you know how much water this guy drank before or, or what have you. I'm going to say that Williams is probably the heavier back and probably plays with more weight. But Harris, I'm not. I don't need a pro day. Way in to necessarily tell me that the dude is a big man and yeah. is a bulldozer when he gets the ball in his hands. He can do everything. Like, yeah, does he have the explosive speed? Like, no, not necessarily. But he is versatile when it comes to a different type of scheme. I think that with Matt Canada taking over as offensive coordinator, you know, he did a lot of inside zone stuff at Maryland. So again, I think that all those running backs are can, can thrive in an inside zone scheme. So it's not like specific to Harris that that's where he's particularly yeah. good, but across the board I think that any of them would do really well but I think that the pick is going to probably be Harris and I think the reason the Steelers are probably trying to go in the first round is because they kind of did the math and they're like all right well them one of these guys might not be there when we pick at our second pick so (laughs) they might have to go in round one
0: okay but where are you ranking him in the fantasy Let's, let's stick with Najee then Najee Harris goes to Steelers where are you ranking him in the running back landscape Right now, I know things could change, you know, if James Rob if the Jaguars then draft ETN, like we're dropping James Robinson out. But things stand right now, and the only thing we know is Najee's on Pittsburgh. I'm looking at I I would probably settle on RB16. It feels too low. I would still lean towards taking guys like Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, Chris Carson, Joe Mixon ahead of him. I'm not I'm not sticking to it necessarily because I do think you know that potential volume would be huge, but Man, like those other guys are pretty damn good too. He's certainly going to be at a minimum an upper end RB two.
1: Yes, I I would probably put him around that 15 range. Again, as good as he is and as good as the workload is going to be, again, we can't just overlook the fact that the Steelers don't have the best offensive line and that matters. And, you know, how good is the offense going to be overall? Like, that's, yeah. that's also a question mark. How good is Big Bang going to be? Again, the touches are going to definitely be there, which is great for him. I, I think that if he stays, you know, in the third round, kind of where Edward Slair was last year before Damian Williams opted out of the season, I think that's fair price because that's usually where most running backs or rookie running backs get drafted, yeah. you know unless you were the Ezekiel Elliott's or the Saquon Barclays. And then last year, Edward Solaire's ADP probably got out of control in the top five. I don't think that's going to happen, especially because of the PTSD of CEH as a rookie. It's just going to stop anything from Harris from probably not getting into most people's top 10. So I think a third round is appropriate. If you draft AJ Brown with your second round pick, you drafted a running back with the first round pick. I think that Harris makes a lot of sense in the third round.
0: And I would just say, like, I understand they need to address the offensive line, but it's not in a situation where we need to fade the running back going to Pittsburgh because we're that worried about the offensive line. We will take all the volume that any of these guys would get in Pittsburgh over those offensive line concerns like James Conner averaged 4.3 yards per carry last year. I know that's not the end all be all stat for running backs, but it wasn't a situation where they just literally could never run the ball. They basically just never chose to because they kind of saw the guys they were looking at. So I don't think Najee Harris is going to sing. Single-handedly fix the Pittsburgh running game. Just realized they don't really need to do that to still enable a fancy RB2 at worst. Andrew, huge news here as the president of his fan club. <laughs> My guy Cordero Patterson signed with the Falcons and they even waived Edo Smith. So it was funny during the season, you know, Tariq Cohen goes down and, Everybody was in my mentions going, oh, Ian, here you go, man. Time to hype up Cordero Patterson and the waiver wire. And I was like, no, people do not take this guy and start him. I love Cordero Patterson. If you call him a bust, you do not know football. He is the best kick, not punt returner, just strictly kicks. All time, you know, open up a book, check the stats. It's a fact. And he's also been good enough to function as anyone's idea of a legit RB2 wide receiver four throughout his career. So did he fulfill every expectation as a round one wide receiver not in that specific part of football but as we know andrew a lot more in the game of football that cordero thrives at so any nice things to say about cordero or you just want me to keep on going
1: well i will say that the one thing cordero patterson has that russell gage doesn't have he's got that first round draft capital you got to get all (laughs) first round wide receivers out there for matt ryan you got ridley you got julio you got Cordell Patterson. You got Hayden Hurst. Dude, all these former first-round picks. Yeah, how, can the, how can the Falcons' offense fail? But Ru- is he <laughs> playing running back or receiver?
0: The Falcons announced him as a running back. I absolutely love it. Okay. I've been preaching this for years. And finally, finally. The NFL is listening to me. But, yeah, Andrew, look, I think Russell Gage is a system slot quarterback. We saw Mohamed Sanu dice up defenses for years through the air. Russell Gage comes in last year, finishes as PFF's number one graded passer. Let Cordero Patterson throw the ball. He can already do everything else and see what happens. Uh, Last point here before I just, you know, fill up all your time uh, with some CPAT talk. I did see Devin Hester getting a ton of Hall of Fame uh love, which hey, I think he should go. He's the best pure kick and punt returner of all time, specifically uh punts as well. But you know, the case that they were making for Hester, I, I just think Patterson, from a numbers perspective, uh is actually within more within the ballpark, I think that people give him credit for. Offensive touchdowns at this point, Patterson has 18, Hester has 16. Hester has 14 return punt return touchdowns. I get it. He's the goat there. CPAT eight kick return touchdowns. Hester had five. They were both on the Hall, uh, Hall of Fame All-2010 teams, both four-time Pro Bowlers. Uh, Patterson actually has one more All-Pro, and Hester's had an extra four seasons to accumulate all these numbers so, fu- uh, so far. So, can't wait to see uh, what Patterson does as next stop, and hopefully we get another Sky Cam touchdown or two uh, on those kick returns. Uh, moving on, Andrew, the Mi- Miami Herald reports many around the league anticipate the Falcons taking tight end Kyle Pitts. Where would you rank him in the tight end landscape with the Falcons and I know you've been hoping he'd fall to the uh, Dolphins there at six but would you still be cool uh, with this spot
1: so with the Miami Herald number one is I remember last year they were all about Justin Herbert getting drafted by the Dolphins so Ooh. that's one thing I will say about the Miami Herald out just Miami track Earl. record of because I remember I was like Justin Herbert you know mock drafts he's going to the Dolphins <laughs> and locking it in and it was wrong and it messed up my whole mock draft and, you know that wasn't one of the only picks I got wrong but Miami Herald, just, just keep it in mind. But, yeah, I did a lot of thinking with this, and I still like the Dolphins as as probably one of my favorite spots for Kyle Pitts. I mean, same thing with the Bengals. I think that he just fallen to so many targets with Cincinnati, but I think that they're ultimately going to go with either Chase or Penny Sewell. But as I thought more about the landing spot with the Atlanta Falcons, and, yes, will he—the question marks about his target share in the offense with Julio there, with Calvin Ridley, it's not going to necessarily be as high— But when you look at it from a raw target's perspective, you know, the Falcons throw a ton. If they're drafting Kyle Pitts, it means they're not addressing the defense. So that's always good for more passing volume. And, you know, I just kind of looked it up because I was just interested, you know, play action. I think that Matt Ryan's going to use more play action this year. I think he's going to be more efficient with Arthur Smith. And Kyle Pitts, second highest graded player on play action throws last season because he's just the best at everything. You can look up any stat you want. Kyle Pitts is probably number one or number two. So, yeah, I'm probably going to be in on it, even though part of me saying, you know, you got to chase the targets, Andrew. But part of me's like, yeah, but he might catch 10 touchdowns. <laughs> so because we know Julio's not catching yeah. touchdowns. So <laughs> Yeah, the fact
0: that Julio, even back to college, man, only has one 10-touchdown season maddening. I, I did go check, you know, not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but I did check Julio's high school stats, and he did score a bunch of touchdowns uh, back in the day. So it's not like a genetic thing with Julio, but since college and NFL began, that dude cannot find the end zone. So the only way I can really see Kyle Pitts busting, because I think this dude is really the only five-tool receiver in the entire draft. I mean, even, okay, like Jamar Chase and De- Devontae Smith and those guys, all fantastic, but if you just look at their high and weight percentiles at the position. They are all under like 50%. You know, Andrew, we were talking before the show, man, it's a Mickey Mouse class of wide receivers with uh, kind of, you know, the way it's setting up A a lot of slot guys, a lot of inside guys, not as many beasts on the outside. And I think Kyle Pitts, man, we want to call him a tight end, but he is truly a number one receiver. I understand there are better spots for his projected targets, but at the same time, this is a Falcons team with a very bad defense. We know they're going to be chucking the rock around. I mean, Arthur Smith had Derrick Henry. Of course, he's going to feed. The ball. Their offensive coordinator Dave Ragone just had the Bears' offense, and they've racked up the eighth most pass attempts. So I don't think there's really one way we should lean uh, too heavily on you know in terms of Smith versus uh, Dave and who's going to be making the big calls. But the big situation here that I love is that Hayden Hurst is like maybe the single worst blocking tight end in the league. At least PFF said he was last year, and he had some okay games you know as a receiver. But man, like he won my Jameis Winston All Star Award for tight ends for a reason. Man, it was really it was like 50 yards and or a touchdown in 10 games but absolutely busted otherwise was never a consistent part of that offense and i would have no doubts about pitts screaming up in the top of that depth chart again i don't see him busting but if he is man it's going to be like jason garrett or one of these old school minded head coaches being like well he's just not quite good enough as an inline blocker right now so if he goes to falcons man i would comfortably put him as tight end six ahead of dallas goddard until the earth trade gets made which i'm still (laughs) waiting on happening but do you think tight end six is fair for pitts on the falcons
1: Yeah, that's kind of the range I was thinking with Dallas Goddard. And and it's funny that you mentioned Dallas Goddard. When we were looking over our pre-projections, I was like, why is Dallas Goddard so low? I was like, oh, wait, yeah, because Zach Ertz is still on the team, so we can't bump him up yet. (laughs)
0: Yeah, hope those trade talks are going well, Philly. Come the hell on. Uh, Last note, assault allegations against Aaron Donald were dropped. Uh, Just, you know, (laughs) got released on Twitter. Pretty quick story. I was happy with how kind of quickly it got kind of turned over and we found the truth. But guy just beat up, eye all closed. And the rumors were that Aaron Donald had done this. Not so fast, my friends. Uh, Security footage confirmed that Donald actually was the one coming to the rescue and pulling people away, not the one beating this dude's freaking face in. So, yeah, the guy that, you know, the victim came out and made a public apology. I sure wouldn't want to be on Aaron Donald's uh, bad side, uh, bad side either. But, Andrew, it was a good reminder, man, because, you know, people were just kind of flooding the timeline with, like, pictures of Aaron Donald and stuff. Like, he is a different species, man. That dude would kill, I don't know, like – Anyone short of like a train, like, I don't know, man, put Aaron Donald in the UFC like that would sell money, even if he doesn't know what he's doing. That dude is just scary as hell. I don't really have a big takeaway from this other than just remind people. like If you see Aaron Donald anywhere, I don't care what you're doing. Do not piss that man off.
1: I mean, if it's Aaron Donald versus a lion in a cage, I'm I'm taking Aaron Donald.
0: (laughs) Amen. I I love that. Every now and then I'll throw the uh, old video where he was practicing with like plastic knives and people thought they were (laughs) legit real, like doing defensive line hand drills, knocking uh, knives away. So I'm happy uh, Aaron Donald does not have any issues with the law. He is truly a joy to watch play football. Uh, We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills. UFC at everybody. I love it. My second favorite sport. Mazdal and Uzman put on a show the last time they stepped in the octagon. Well, That's not true. I mean, Usman just foot stomped him and controlled the ring the entire time, but certainly sold a lot of pay-per-views and I'm still hyped anyway. Round two is sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26-1 to odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Just bet $5 on either fighter to win. And if they walk out with the belt, you will cash $130. All right, guys. Yeah, put that money on Kamara Usman. Do not put it on Jorge Masvidal. If you don't know anything about fighting, you're about to watch Usman control this fight for the entire time which he does every single fight so don't worry if MMA isn't for you DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds of promotion and basketball hockey and so much more but let MMA be for you at least this week and again $5 on Usman to win walk out with $130 download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF and you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins place your bet on Usman and watch the fist fly this weekend that's code PFF turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. Limited time only, only has DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older. New Jersey, West Virginia, Pennsylvania only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problems, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hell of a read by me, Andrew. Don't want to hurt myself patting my own back, but <laughs> it is what it is. All right, moving on to the segment. Again, we did this last week, but basically the idea, we did it at running backs, but we have these teams that we're pretty confident are going to be taking a wide receiver at some point high like whether it's first round second round third round it's going to be some sort of a difference maker so if this happens basically we're not going to worry about who the rookie could be coming in, but then how would we adjust to the veteran wide receivers that we're currently looking at in fantasy land? So I picked ten teams that again could certainly use another wide receiver at some point early in the draft. Angela starts things off with the Packers. How would you, you know, I, I think we're agreeing that Devonte Adams really wouldn't be moving at all, but you know, what would them adding a higher end talent to the room uh, change your opinion on in terms of MVS Allen? Oh,
1: when you oh the Packers is real. I thought I thought the Packers one was a joke, but. Uh... <laughs> All right, so Green Bay Packers, shout out to Jared Evans, big Packers fan. But I think that the way that we should look at the Packers receiving core, it really depends on the archetype receiver that they draft. So I think that if it's a slot guy that comes in there, I think that we need to address Alan Lazard maybe a little bit more as he's really more the possession receiver that operates out of the slot. I think that if it's a speedster, a vertical threat, I think that's someone that, okay, MVS, kind of looking for the overlapping roles and the same thing with a red zone monster, a red zone threat, a big receiver, big bodied guy. You know, that could hurt Robert Tanyan because he absolutely lived in the end zone. I was I was, I was was blown away by the stat about Tanyan. He had zero broken tackles last year because basically he would just catch the ball and fall in the end zone. So he couldn't get tackled. So it's, it was absolutely insane. I, I honestly couldn't believe it was a fact just based on how many catches he had. But I think it really depends on the archetype and then we have to kind of adjust from there. I think that one of Tanyan, MBS, or Lazard is going to fall out of favor based on a rookie.
0: Yeah, and I hope it is a slot. And with that said, man, I wouldn't be overly high on the rookie. I know we've talked about the potential for someone to come into Green Bay and, you know, get the role we're hoping for. But I think MBS and Lazard are... Not only like good enough on the field, but also like in tight enough with Rodgers. Like, I don't see them drafting even a first round receiver and just immediately booting one of these guys to the bench. Obviously, the rookie is going to play, but I mean, we can go back to 2018 when they drafted MVS, Equanimeous St. Brown, uh, even Jamon Moore, and they drafted all these rookies because they needed receivers. And we just saw Devontae Adams get 169 targets as Aaron Rodgers force fed him every single game. So it just might be a little too crowded elsewhere for anyone other than Devontae to ball the hell out. I hope it's a slot. I think. MVS, you know, his field stretching ability is fine. Let's try to spruce up the inside a little bit more, but I'm with you there. It's going to be one of those guys. Certainly not Devontae Adams. Same sentiment, I think, holds true with our next team, the Titans, where regardless of who they draft, man, I am not concerned about A.J. Brown. They have 224 available targets. Shout out to uh, John Daigle at Roto World for that info. That's the third most available targets in the league. So we can give AJB 94 of those targets, get him to 200, and then we still have over 100 left over for the next guy. I guess, Andrew, the issue with Tennessee, it could hurt Anthony Ferkser, if you're into Josh Reynolds in the late rounds, that's not helping, but it's, it's a, maybe the prime destination in terms of like having a good quarterback and having an open opportunity to step into for a rookie wide receiver.
1: Well, I mean, how many targets is, is Derek Henry going to get? I think, I think he's been working on the
0: routes. He's hey, showing off the so, Twitter vids. I love so, it. Take, take it to Twitter, Derek, go get your targets. <laughs>
1: The thing with the Derrick Henry thing that just cracks me up is, guys, like, we, like, no one's saying he can't catch. Like, we, we know he can catch the ball. Like, it's just the coaching staff that has not been able to use him in the past. Like, that's the thing. A lot of these running backs are more than capital pace catchers, except for Jordan Howard. Like, he's like <laughs> one, one of the main, and Ronald Jones pretty much are those yeah. two main guys that just for some reason were just born with these stone hands that, I guess like their parents never played catch with them in the backyard or something. They're just like, nah, you're going to play, we're going to do, they're like, instead of like playing catch, they would just play handoffs in the backyard because they just couldn't catch the ball. But so anyway, yeah, I think that I agree with you. The Titans, I think makes so much sense for a rookie landing spot. So many targets available. I think they also have the second most air yards available. So up for grabs. Even with Reynolds and Furks are there, those guys are both going super late in drafts. They're still going to go late. I, I love the spot for any of these rookie wide receivers. And I think that this is a spot where we could potentially see a blow up, like a Justin Jefferson-esque type of ceiling from one of these wide receivers that lands there. De- obviously, it depends on the talent that, get- that goes there. But, you know, a defense that's eh, an offense that's led by an efficient quarterback, sounds a lot like the Vikings last year, so...
0: Yeah, like I'm not convinced Josh Reynolds is going to command you know a ton of target share here. It could be a situation where we're projecting triple-digit targets for a rookie if they can leap to the top. But yeah, man, Derek Henry just get that big dude in the open field, yes. man. He didn't drop a single pass last year. I mean, in the first uh, let's see, four years of his career, he only dropped a total of eight. So I, I know he doesn't have the best drop rate in the world, but it's not like he's uh, to your point. You know, the, he's not quite in the Jordan Howard uh, sphere either. <laughs> so yeah, even if you're not going to line up Henry, you know, one on one on the outside you know at least two you know hell can we get two maybe even three dump offs see what happens i don't know guys just throwing ideas at a wall here uh next squad is like all available target yard team the detroit lions <laughs> I mean, man,
1: the air yard (laughs) team,
0: like again, Titans, I'm saying that even though they want to be run first, I think the defense is bad enough. Tannehill's good enough that I think we could get, you know, a real efficient 110 targets. But man, in terms of pure pass game opportunity, there might not be another squad better suited for a rookie to come into than the Lions. I don't know that I would care that much about, you know, their existing guys. I know TJ Hawkinson's, you know, kind of like the consensus tight end for right now. Prashad Perryman is getting a little love, but Andrew, there's just like so much availability there that, yeah, they can add a couple guys and it, it's fine. They need them.
1: Dude, I think that it makes so much sense for them to draft a slot receiver. They didn't fill the role of Danny Amendola. Like that was one thing that it seemed like they were going to do resign him, but they brought in Tyrell Williams. They brought in Brashad Perryman who are both outside guys that are speed guys. And they don't have anyone to play in the slot. And like you mentioned before, this class has a ton of good slot wide receivers. So it seems like that that's their plan, whether it's in the first round with Jalen Waddle or in the second round with one of these other guys. I think that they're going to be going to the slot. And look, people hate Jared Goff because he's not good. And I don't necessarily disagree with that fact. But at the same time, he's also been able to support a lot of fantasy relevant wide receivers in his career. Again, he's not with Sean McVay anymore, but... Jared Goff in garbage time. It's not like he's going to throw probably for 300 yards pretty often. Like that defense is not good. So I will be all over whichever rookie ends up there. And if people are off of him because of Jared Goff, oh, he sucks. He's terrible. It's like, okay, well, Jared Goff's probably better than like Andy Dalton at this point. But we're going to draft Allen Robinson as a top, you know, 12 wide receiver. No one really cares. So, yeah, I'm going to take over whatever rookie ends up with the Lions. And I'm going to be happy about it.
0: Put on a tombstone. Jared Goff, better than Andy Dalton. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, this is, man, I, I was tweeting today, like, please go. Don't draft a wide receiver, Urban Meyer. I'm begging you. We got DJ Chark on one side, Marvin Jones on the other, and the new Percy Harvin, the new Curtis Samuel, LaVisca Chenault, hopefully in this slot wide receiver hybrid role that Urban Meyer has mastered at the college level, haven't quite seen it in the NFL. So I can wish, we'll see, uh, LaVisca did play more than double the amount of snaps uh, out wide that he did in the slot last year. So we're taking a little bit of a, you know, jump there, but man, for them to sign Marvin Jones, like I, I didn't like that signing at all. I didn't really like any of the Jacksonville Jaguars moves uh, this offseason. So I'm not you know, overly bullish on uh, what Meyer has come in and, and, and done really with this team. But, you know, if they don't add anybody, we're looking, again, bad defense, obvious quarterback upgrade in Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I think Chark and LaVisca Chenault, we're going to be probably bumping them up a good five spots if, they, again, they don't add anybody.
1: This is an Aegis podcast, and I think that Marvin Jones is going to, Turn to dust next year. Think, he's on it. He's on the list. He's... Because <laughs> the thing with him that I rem- that I think we can't forget about last year was he started the season off absolutely terribly. Yeah. Like, he was unplayable at the beginning of last year, and he started to finally get it going. But there was really no one else for Matthew Stafford to throw the ball to. Everybody was... Kenny Galladay was hurt, so Marvin Jones... And Marvin Jones was inconsistent. Like, he had a couple blow-up games here and there, but overall inconsistent. He's not an elite separator. He wins with contested catches, which we know isn't really today's NFL. And look, he's there because of Daryl Bevel, not because of Urban Meyer. So, you know, there's always a chance that, you know, Meyer's like, look, like we, gave, we we went through the Marvin Jones experiment for four weeks and get him out of there. Like we need to get a rookie in. We need to get a plucky rookie into the game, get Marvin Jones out of there. So I think that Marvin Jones, I don't know if a lot of people are, are high on him or drafting him. I, he's an avoid player for me. I, I like Chenault a lot, like you had mentioned. I think that he can have a really dynamic role with the offense. Chark, I'm kind of like pretty lukewarm on. I don't really care necessarily either way. But it, it wouldn't surprise me if they if they draft someone and that he can kind of take over that number three spot.
0: I appreciate the Jaguars fans' devotion to Colin Johnson. Every time I tweet about <laughs> any Jaguars player, they're like, "Hey, take a look at a take a gander at Colin he's Johnson. It's
1: not bad. No, he's
0: not bad at all. He made the most of his opportunities, but." I'm with you. Come on. Visca season. That's all I asked for. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Nobody on the Eagles had more than 80 targets last season. Absolutely ridiculous. Deshaun Jackson's gone. Alshon Jeffrey's gone. But they were hurt for most of last season. I mean, we had Jeffrey kind of running routes on air there for a little bit. But we got Jalen Rager, Travis Fulgham, Greg Ward with Cotter, And for now, Zach Ertz as the group. Not great, man. To me, looking at the situation like Jalen Rager, I would certainly be less happy about trying to scoop him up if they add someone but with that said he's the wide receiver 50 right now like if the Eagles draft Jamar Chase I don't think Rager is like gonna move up and then he's still you know kind of a value at that low point so I think this offense is so cheap right now that again if they add a wide receiver to the group I'm not really adjusting the ranks all that much because I don't want Fulgham reward anyway and Rager is going to be the number one (laughs) or the number two but it might actually do him some good to have someone like Chase opposite of him
1: I agree he, Rager is definitely built more like a wide receiver, too, of an offense, vertical threat. You know he's dynamic in space, but he's not a necessarily a possession receiver. He's not an alpha wide receiver. So if they do end up draft, it seems like they might try to draft one of these bigger receivers, maybe like a Terrace Marshall type of player. Again, I, they may have some hesitancy about how the Arcega-White side pick <laughs> ended up uh, happening, but I, I think that they're going to probably address the position again they need to, but. I don't think it necessarily deters you away from Dallas Goddard or Jalen Rager because, look, there's probably going to be at least one or two legitimate pass catchers there. We like Jalen Hurts, so we—that's the thing. It's its when the ADPs of certain players don't match is when you find value. So we love Jalen Hurts. Like, we're on Dallas Goddard. It's like, okay, well, Jalen Rager is wide receiver 50. Like, that doesn't really add up unless people are just so afraid of them drafting someone.
0: Yeah, I was going through looking at some of the cheaper wide receiver ones right now with an ADP outside the top 40. Rager certainly in there, Brandon Cooks, Devontae Parker, depending on how you feel about that situation. Corey Davis, Jarvis Landry, if you think he might be the guy, Michael Pittman in that weird Colts offense, Henry Ruggs or John Brown, that's a mess. And then we got the Lions. So I get it. I'm not even saying these guys shouldn't be ranked where they are. You know, a lot of run-first situations, crowded passing games. But, yeah, when you're looking at an offense with a quarterback we're expecting a lot from and their wide receiver one is, you know, going as the 50th player off the board, not the worst guy to draft, much closer to his floor than his ceiling. Uh, we got the Bengals up next. So, Andrew, the way I look at this, I think everybody is in on T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd moving forward. And the fact they did what they did last year, Boyd with 110 targets, Higgins with 108. I mean, we can add Jamar Chase and that's fine. But if we don't, all of a sudden, I'm looking at jumping these guys over, you know, Cooper Cup, Robbie Anderson, Adam Thielen, those types, because if we can concentrate this offense down to two receivers, that's great news. I still think they can do three. I mean, Joe Burrow had the most dropbacks in the league before getting hurt. A.J. Green's corpse and his 104 targets from last year are out of the picture. They can do three, but I just think that if they have three high-end receivers, they're going to be more in that lower-end wide receiver two borderline, kind of like the Steelers. But if we can eliminate one of them and just condense all that target ship to Higgins and Boyd, look out, bro.
1: That would be absolutely insane if we get Tyler Boyd, 20% plus target share, T. Higgins, 20% plus target share, everything, especially in that offense, like you mentioned, like the most pass-heavy team in the neutral game script last year. And I honestly don't even mind if they add Jamar Chase. I know you kind of hit on that because, look, he's going to be taking over this— AJ Green role, which was basically the most inefficient role that any receiver could possibly have in in the year of 2020. You know, 101st in yards per route run, and he was detrimental to the entire Bengals offense because he commanded the most high value targets and did absolutely nothing with them. He led the team in air yard share and end zone target share. So imagine you take all those awesome targets and you give them to good players. It's just the the fantasy ceilings for these guys have the potential to be so much higher just because they're getting rid of a player that was just totally awful in their offense last year. Especially if they replace him with a guy like Chase. I, I, people are I, I've seen some things where some people are concerned that Chase is going to nuke the value of T Higgins or Tyler Boyd, but I don't really see it that way. You know, every couple of years we seemingly get you know a teams that have three wide receivers. It's like oh you start them every week, like you start them every week. And I think that would be the case with the Bengals with their crappy defense and their pass-heavy mentality. I think that we're just going to see a duplication of the LSU offense. Tyler Boyd's Justin Jefferson. Chase is Chase. And you have T. Higgins being Terrace Marshall. So if those guys all balled out together, maybe Joe Mixon can be good Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And you can't forget, Thaddeus Moss gets to be Thaddeus Moss.
0: (laughs) Yeah, not hating on Higgins or boy, if they draft someone, but if they don't, ooh, boy, then we're putting rockership emojis all over in Twitter land. Yeah, I would just say, you know, because if any of you are out there are going, whoa, but what about A.J. Green's, you know, only four of his 24 targets downfield were deemed catchable. It's a good point when, if you don't watch film, but this is why we got to try and mold it, people. Anybody that watched more than one Bengals game last year, even maybe just one Bengals game last year, you saw how dusty A.J. Green was. Maybe that was coming off the injury. Maybe he'll be a new man uh, with the goal. Uh, Cardinals this year, but look, he was considered open or wide open on just one of those twenty four targets. Like, there's a reason why every other Bengals receiver, even uh, Andrew, you're like alter ego Alex Erickson, every other <laughs> Bengals receiver was doing better than AJ Green last year. All right, so yeah, add in Jamar Chase, and I think we will see uh, Joey Burrow's uh, deep ball passing go up, even without Chase. Give my guy Auden Tate some catches with the all contested right. uh, catches, and I'm sure he'll come through as he always does. Uh, moving on to Texans, Andrew, it's a Tricky situation, man, with the Sean Watson uh, ongoing investigation. They were rumored to be in, like, the Alex Smith market uh, if, you know, he wanted to play. But, obviously, he's retired. So, it's looking more and more likely that Tyrod Taylor could be starting games in 2020. I understand he is not the quarterback we want thrown to our fantasy wide receivers. But, my goodness, man, like... Their defense is going to be awful. We're looking at probably the single worst team in football. Like Tyron's going to have to throw the ball. And Brandon Cooks is really the only guy there to throw to. So again, I listed him before as one of the cheaper guys. Coming off the board right now is the wide receiver 40. Andrew, if they don't add anyone, if they do add someone, I think we're just completely done with everyone on this offense because now it's starting to get crowded and it's already bad. If they don't add someone, though, Brandon Cooks is probably someone we're going to have to start to get more behind.
1: Cooks is a value and yeah. my guy, we just mentioned him, Alex Erickson. Dude, he's on the Houston Texans. You never oh know. Oh, my God. You, did... you never know. But it's really hard to try to decide outside of Cooks. Again, he can't – I mean, he's going to have like 300 targets next year. Like maybe. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, Moncrief, Randall Cobb, Chris Conley, Kiki Cootie, Andre Roberts. I, I like Jordan Akins a lot too as a tight end. But then they they traded for another tight end, Ryan Izzo. And it's just a mess. It's just so hard to try to figure out. Again, this will be something that'll be interesting to see in preseason how they, you know, who the starters are. But again, at the same time, it's like, what's the point, man? Like, yeah. just draft cooks and move on. I
0: don't even. I think you might have just talked me out of cooks too. Why did they add Moncreeve, Conley, and Erickson and Roberts <laughs> in the? Like, I knew all the moves were ridiculous. I didn't quite realize when that you're they like, focused when you on wide receiver all together, that much.
1: You're just like, wait. Is this a team that I just picked up off the waiver wire? That's what I'm
0: like. I shook my head collectively at all those signings, but then didn't quite put together that. No, they were all to the Texans and also all in the freaking wide receiver room. So, you know what, people? Yeah, I mean, even if they don't add someone, like, I don't, I would not blame you for not, uh, you know, wasting your time with Brandon Cooks either. But we shall see Brandon Cooks. Man, you know. The anti kind of like Andre Johnson, uh, Allen Robinson of his generation. Tom Brady, the good version of Jared Goff, Drew Brees, um, obviously the Sean Watson last year. We will see what Brandon Cooks looks like with a below average quarterback really in 2020, Let's 2020. What's he really made up? Stay healthy though, Brandon. Hopefully uh, keep, keep your head on straight. Uh, next up with the Ravens. So, man, like Hollywood Brown balled out at the end of last year and people probably didn't realize it because you were already too pissed about the first half of the season and didn't start him. But truly, man, he scored a touchdown or went over at least 80 yards in each of his final eight games. They added Sammy Watkins. I don't think that's too big of a hurdle. He's just going to kind of line up where Des Bryant was. If they add someone else, though, Andrew, do you want anybody in this passing game?
1: Mark Andrews is kind of a guy I like just because it's tight end and I think that he's a good player. But Marquise Brown is someone that I've been trying to advocate to – get away from again i've only drafted him in best ball drafts when i've had lamar jackson at quarterback just because i'm trying to get the stack but again you mentioned the stats in the later after the season you know wide receiver two numbers 32 percent target share after week 11 but that's it like he's a at best a wide receiver two he's been a fringy wide receiver three wide receiver four the past two seasons when he's basically been the pseudo number one wide receiver again not necessarily number one target with mark andrews there as well but I I can't get behind Marquise Brown, really. I, he, there's nothing he's shown me in these past two seasons that he's the guy that they're going to build the offense around him. You know, our PFF account is tweeting out, get get Lamar Jackson a wide receiver one. And so, I mean, that's kind of the consensus on the Ravens right now is that they need to address the position. They need to add more guys, and that's going to take away from Brown. Yes, is he going to have his splash weeks? Sure, but there's tons of, there's a ton of wide receivers that can do that. I just I don't see anything about him that really stands out. That makes it me, oh, I need to get Marquise Brown in this draft versus, you know, this other player who maybe is going a little bit later again. He's got more of a name cachet to him, you know, former first round pick, but I think I'm really kind of out on Marquise Brown.
0: Mark Andrews led the 2019 Ravens with 98 targets. Hollywood led the 2020 Ravens with 100 targets. Now we're adding walk-ins. If we had someone else, like, it's just an offense that where the target leader could have, like, 75, 80 targets. Just not good in fancy land. It's already a struggle enough as it is. So, yeah, Baltimore passing game. Shocking hot take. Uh, not one you should be looking to target two actively. Uh, two more here, everybody. We got the Chicago Bears. So, we know A-Robs are locked in wide receiver one. I think Darnell Mooney is a fantastic field stretcher, wide receiver two. He can be your wide receiver three. That's fine. There's been a lot of Anthony Miller trade talks. He's so out of good graces with this organization right now after getting kicked out of the playoff game. Highly, highly unlikely that Anthony Miller comes back. Even if he does, I don't think he'd be getting guaranteed anything resembling a starting role. So, Andrew, I guess the Bears, even though this isn't a passing game we should be looking to get into, but in a draft, filled slot receivers, man, we could be talking about one of them starting week one in this offense
1: i agree and i think that brings up the question about darnell mooney and let's say that they do draft a rookie receiver in the second round a slot wide receiver is it crazy to think that he could that player could potentially unseat darnell mooney who was a fifth round pick you know not super established the bears don't have a lot invested in him and they're bound to basically screw up the situation regardless so i think like it having darnell mooney as like a dynasty asset. I think that he's an interesting player to potentially look to sell high on based on the fact that, you know, he broke out really early on last year, got a lot of targets, but he wasn't super efficient with the targets. Again, that's a lot of that has to do with the quarterback play being pretty piss poor with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles, but I can't like not look at him and get Darius Slayton vibes where it's like, yeah, he's good, but like the team is never going to be satisfied with this particular player and they're just going to be looking to move on. It's like, what's the mindset around him going to be when they do draft a player with higher draft capital about Darnell Mooney? So I think just an interesting way to look at it.
0: Yeah, I don't, again, I, I don't think he's really prioritizing anyone on this uh, offense, including, honestly, Alan Robinson. He's now the wide receiver 13, so he's not being priced as that clear-cut wide receiver one he's been. So I, I'm okay with Dalton getting kicked into it. But yeah, I would just say, people, like don't be... Completely convinced that Robinson is just going to continue to keep on keeping on uh, with another, you know, not good quarterback under center. We did see it out of him, you know, earlier in his career. He had the one year, one good year of Blake Bortles, and the next year, sixteen games, one hundred fifty-one targets, he had eight hundred eighty yards and six touchdowns. So credit to him for making the most out of Trubisky and stuff. But who's to say that Dalton won't bring out another bad version of him? I mean, even DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he's overcome a lot of bad quarterbacks. Couldn't do so with Brock Osweiler. Uh, he had played a sixteen game season only scored four touchdowns. So, you know. It's just one of these things where, it's, you know, we played the game a couple weeks ago, Andrew. We were like, what situations are we kind of over-assuming everything is going to be fine? Alan Robinson with a new quarterback who is not particularly what we would call good is one of these situations that I think people are glossing over a little bit too much. Last team, the New Orleans Saints. We know Michael Thomas is locked in as a wide receiver. One, I guess Chaquon Smith could be the one getting screwed because, Andrew, I mean, this offense, uh, you know, brought up the point when I was kind of looking at some of the cheaper uh, stacks in fantasy land. You know, it's been fun in best ball if you get alvin kamara or michael thomas early to kind of just fill in the pieces in the later rounds but if they add another high-end wide receiver piece could complicate things a little bit
1: i think michael thomas is probably my favorite wide receiver to draft outside of aj brown because they're just in very similar situations i mean no one would be surprised if michael thomas is finishes as a wide receiver one overall the same thing with an aj brown player but neither of them are going in the first round but you can get that type of upside second round or even in the third round where i've been able to draft michael thomas The situation is so similar to the Tennessee Titans. Again, you have so many targets available. You know, Jared Cook is gone. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. It's not being highlighted nearly as much because Michael Thomas is obviously, he had a really disappointing season last year. But look, if a talented rookie comes in there and it's Traquan Smith, Marquez Calloway, Deontay Harris standing in his way and... They okay. It tells us one, one or two things about the rookie. It's like a okay. This rookie sucks because he can't beat out these guys. <laughs> or number two, it's this guy's going to be. This is going to be a rookie that's going to see a lot of action in year one because his path to opportunity is really clear. Look, Traquan Smith, guys, it's been. It's not going to happen. Like it, he had so many opportunities. He had opportunities the last four years to break out and be that guy even last year when michael thomas went down i mean that kind of was the kind of the selling point for me Look, he had a perfect opportunity to kind of take over and be a staple in that offense and he wasn't able to do it so i think that the saints there's a smash spot them and the titans are probably my two favorite spots for any of these rookie wide receivers
0: love to call michael thomas being one of those just Top 12 wide receivers that you should actively be trying to chase. The fact that, again, you know, I've ranted about this before, but the whole slant boy thing being used against Michael Thomas instead of just, uh, you know, one after another, just in after noodle arm quarterbacks he's been forced to play with over the past few years has been, you know, infuriating. He's caught 33 of 36 catchable targets thrown at least 20 yards downfield since he entered the league. That's the fourth highest mark among 64 qualified guys. Michael Thomas can catch balls downfield, people. Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill, and freaking old man Drew Brees were the problem, okay? And it wasn't even that big of a problem. The guy set the freaking reception record two years ago and then played through the pain this year when he got hurt, you know, in freaking week one. So one of those things where I think Michael Thomas could prove a lot of people uh, wrong this year. I know he doesn't do himself many favors with some of his, uh, you know, Twitter stalking. It's Kevin Durant-esque at times. But, you know, just don't let that get in the way of realizing Michael Thomas is anyone's idea of a wide receiver. One, uh, quickly, everyone, if you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy, for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Last segment everybody, before we get out of here, want to go over some potential exceptions to the early round players rule and fancy drafting so Mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but please check out pff.com. I have an article going up about draft capital and the impact on rookies. And look, people, since 2010, we've had seven quarterbacks finish as a rookie top 12 uh, producer out there position. We have had 30 running backs, 16 wide receivers, and only two tight ends Evan Ingram, Rob Gronkowski. In every single case, over 80% of those top performers and, uh, excuse me, running back and wide receiver are top 24, actually, not top 12. So expanded that. But in every single case, 80% or more of those players were drafted inside of the top three, round, top three rounds. That doesn't mean we don't see fourth and fifth and sixth and undrafted guys make an impact. But for it to be prolonged enough over a season to get these results in your first year in the league, it's been very difficult historically. So Andrew and I are going to focus on two players each that we don't think are really going to be going in the first three rounds. But if the stars align, if the opportunity is afforded to them, we think they could put up some numbers. So Andrew, who's your first early round exception?
1: Okay. So my, one of my favorite rookies in this class, running back Khalil Herbert from Virginia tech, he's projected in the PFF draft guide to go in the fourth round. And it it lines up with grinding the mocks, which is a tool I use that kind of collects aggregate mock drafts. And he's basically a mid round four player there. So again, hopefully, again, ideally we want to see if they're going in day three, ideally they want to be going in the fourth round, you know, seventh round is obviously not ideal for these guys, but with Khalil Herbert, what I really like about him is he makes yards after the contact. Among the 2021 draft class, he finished second in total yards after contact behind only Najee Harris. Ooh. Nightmare to defend with the ball in his hands, and he also has versatility as a kick returner. He led the ACC in all-purpose yards in 2020. So I he's a top five running back for me. His nickname is Juice. Like, I don't see what's not to like about the guy. He's got... Great contact balance, great vision. I like him a lot. Again, his negatives. I got I got to hit on them. He's really old, so, so that's the one thing. I know it's age's podcast, but <laughs> he's rookie, twenty four years old. Running backs. I'm not as concerned about it because look, I want the rookie on his. On, I want the running back on his rookie contract. Get in, get out. All right, four years. See you later, Clear Herbert. Whatever, don't care. And then the other thing is his lack of pass game usage. But again, we've hit on this before. It really just depends on what offense he's in. If he goes to an offense where they throw the ball running backs, then he'll probably catch passes. And, and that's the thing with a lot of the college game is a lot of the college game doesn't feature running backs in the passing game, unless yeah. you play under Mike Leach in the air raid offense. Like that's the if you look at all of the RB target leaders in college, it's all guys from teams that played under Mike Leach, Washington state. It's it's And then last year it was a uh, Texas A&M. So yeah. it's absolutely insane at the way that they use the running backs in college in the passing game. So for me, I think Cleo Herbert, he's not like a consensus number five guy. I'm a little bit higher, than, higher on him. I know that PFF has him as their number five running back, and I'm excited about him. So Juice, don't let me down.
0: <laughs> I had an article up a few weeks ago. I looked at the kind of receiving ability of all the incoming rookie RBs. And for Herbert, yeah, like, Okay, he's never caught more than 10 passes in a season, but he only dropped two of his 54 targets. It wasn't like he couldn't Catch the ball. He couldn't do things in the receiving game. He just wasn't asked to. So my conclusion was that there's not enough evidence to paint him as a good or bad receiver. At least we know the man can make plays with the ball in his hands. So Khalil Herbert, fingers crossed, ends up on the Jets, Steelers, or Falcons. Another player I'm hoping to wind up in a cushy situation. My guy, Ohio State's finest, Trey Sermon, of course, also played for the Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, give me a running back that stood out equally at Oklahoma at Ohio State two of the better programs and you know what like you know my guy over at Underdog Fantasy we were reading off the promo before but Hayden Winks over there and he has Sermonized as his RB4 and I am in on this too like Herbert we didn't see Sermon you know command a ton of receiving work but when has Ohio State really made a habit of throwing to their running backs you can say Curtis Samuel but come on he was a legit uh, hybrid there not what Trey Sermon is he is a 6 foot 215 pound workhorse potential four five, 40 yard dash and man he's not Alvin Kamara he is Sermon Certainly not, but he's got arm length that does resemble him, and he's got the swaggy turf tape to boot. I mean, look, dude, 10 carries, 112 yards, and a tutty against Michigan State, 331 yards and two touchdowns versus Northwestern, 193 yards, another one versus Clemson with plenty of receiving work, and he did it impressively. It's, these weren't big holes he's just taken advantage of, man. One broken tackle after another, so high-level competition. We saw him able to work on all three downs, and he just has that you know, elusiveness, that thing that you watch on film with running backs, and you see say that guy I know even if you say running backs don't matter you look at the one breaking all the freaking tackles and you say that guy is better than the other one so again I think th- I was surprised to see how kind of quick he was 75th percentile uh, numbers in the three cone broad and vertical alike Andrew Trey Sermon man I think he could uh, rise up a potentially iffy situation if given the opportunity
1: Trey Sermon is PFS he, uh, he owns PFF's fourth highest career rushing grade in the class 94.9 behind only Etienne, Harris, and Javante Williams. So I think that he makes a lot of sense there at the RB4. I think I I have him at RB6, and I've, I've gone back and forth between him and Herbert, so... Now maybe we'll have to make a friendly wager. Ian, there we go, and yeah, I
0: mean, look, but Herbert, you know, he's 5'9, 212. Like, you just got same thing with some of these uh, wide receivers, man. I'll, I'll crunch some numbers, and you see like the guys popping out is all explosive. And you look at them, they're like 5'8, 170. <laughs> so, uh, it's just one of these things. Sermon and Herbert, you know, we like to use the phrase theoretical three down running back. If a team were to let them have you know the James Robinson 2020 role, what could they do with it? Even though that role is incredibly rare for rookies to get, I do think Sermon and Herbert could make. Make good use of it. Andrew, do you have a wide receiver that you're interested in, potentially outperforming expectations?
1: Yeah, so my receiver again also projected to go in the fourth round. Same on grindingthemocks.com. It's gonna be Auburn's Seth Williams. And I've gone back and forth about Seth Williams. I almost wrote him up as a fade player when I did my fade list for pre-draft players. Ultimately I settled on him as a sleeper because I felt that he had enough on his profile that I actually liked him enough. So he's an early declare number one, which is something that we look for a lot in wide receivers. We want high end age adjusted age adjusted production. Last year he ranked number one in team air yard share, number three in team end zone target share, and he owns a top ten career dominator rating in the class. And the best about the best part about it is has to be that he played with Bo Nix from Auburn, who is absolutely terrible. Only sixty three percent of Williams' targets last year were deemed catchable or actually the past two seasons, which is the fifth worst rate in the class among all receivers with at least a hundred targets. So in spite of Mr. Bo Nix throwing him air balls all day long, he was able to post up uh, pretty impressive stats. He also broke out at age 19 when playing alongside Gary Slayton, who actually ended up going into the NFL and having a significant role Played alongside Anthony Schwartz as well. Who's also going to be drafted in this class. You know, the guy is a speedster. So, and the thing that I kind of came away with all the research on Seth Williams was he reminded me a lot of Gabriel Davis. Gabriel Davis commanded a ton of air yards, a ton of end zone targets at UCF, had a solid first year at the Buffalo Bills, Was went in the fourth round. So I, it was is a bigger receiver. Now the one thing that I'm hesitant about Seth Williams, and this is just kind of my bugaboo on a lot of these big-bodied receivers, is just the lack of separation. Like, can they like get open? Because I'm having nightmares of Dekeel Harry not being able to get open against white Whiteside, like I mentioned before. That's one of the issues I have with him. And That's obviously why he's going to go later in the draft because he's not an elite separator. But a lot of the other production things look really well. So. I guess I'll stamp my flag on Seth Williams for now. But I, I'm, I'm definitely lukewarm on the take because, again, the separation thing is just so key. And if he can't do that, then it's like he's just going to be another big body receiver that can't get open.
0: If we're going to bet on him, though, you know, developing that separation, I do think if we're going to bet on any prospect developing it, though, I think we should do someone at, you know, a highly talented school like Auburn that maybe doesn't have the best passing game. And, you know, I know uh, Williams isn't the most twitchy guy in the world, but still, man, I mean, 70th percentile vertical broad jump, shuttle and three cone, not quite so much. So we'll see uh, how that works out. But I came from a similar avenue as you. So I think I am more correct, but I think you're on the right uh, planet. I'm going with... Nico Collins, who uh, our guy Jared Evans, uh, PFF's mastermind behind our fancy uh, social media, he's been hyping them up for months, and I am happy to hop on the bandwagon. So, uh, hadn't uh, you know? I don't know how many times this podcast I've said I've I've had an article go up, but excuse (laughs) excuse me for that. I was looking at five tool receivers: speed, size, hands, route running ability, and playmaking ability. Kyle Pitts was the only one that really cracked each. You know, Chase Devontae Waddle, Bateman, and Moore just had issues with the weight and speed. And man, Nico is. Of someone that I was surprised to see kind of wind up uh, in the finalists, uh, man. He checks every size and speed box you could ask for 6'4, 215. Um, he's got the 4'4, 240. He has longer arms than Auden Tate, man. So, and then you look at it, you know, seventy nine percentile and three cone with some similar jumping numbers as Seth Williams. I think Nico Collins might already be really good and was just underused in a Michigan offense that we've seen hold players back like Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, over the years. So, you know, even if Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't anything more than a solid number three, number four receiver in the NFL, I mean, you know, Michigan's still a program that's recruiting top caliber athletes. I just don't think they've done a great job at, you know, getting them ready to go in the NFL. I think Nico could be an exception to that rule. We gotta see where he goes, but I mean, man, maybe I'm still a little biased to these, you know, big body you know, Des Bryant types, you know, that were just really dominant 10 years ago. But remember with these guys, you know, with your A.J. Browns of the world, like even if you're viewed as someone that, you know, isn't this route, you know, pristine route runner just yet, if you're just a beast enough and big enough athletically to make it not matter, man, I'm not saying that'll work, you know, for 10 plus years, but hey, it might be good enough for a guy in their early 20s to uh, keep going. So Nico Collins,
1: shout out Jared Evans again. I'm confident this is our guy. Let's get it. One of these big body receivers has got to hit. Like One of them, be man. One, Come on. There's going to be one of them that hits because, like you mentioned, there's too many small receivers in this class where a team's not going to put one of these bigger receivers in a starting role potentially as a number two or a number three. And even if they also move them into the slot as like a big slot receiver. So – Again, one of these guys is probably gonna hit and it's it's funny that you pick Nico Collins because that was him and Seth Williams are like ranked next to each other. I was like, All right, I need to like pick one of these big bodies to stamp my flag on So I was like, All right, I guess I'll go with Seth Williams instead of Nico <laughs> Collins. So I guess it's gonna be me versus you and Jared, Nico Collins versus Seth Williams. Let's go. Nico
0: Collins, Seth Williams, and Trey Sermon versus Khalil Herbert. Love to see it. Everybody I encourage all of you to check out our PFF draft show on pff.com kicking off at 7 p.m. on Thursday night, April 29th. We're also going to have shows on Friday to covering rounds two and three starting at 6 p.m. Saturday rounds four through seven starting at 11 a.m. And of course, a recap on Sunday at noon. So we'll be covering every round with live reactions, analysis from Chris Collinsworth, PFFs team and draft analysis or Analytics. Excuse me, and guest appearances. I will also be there giving my take on the fantasy relevant players as they come in. Promo code draft thirty for thirty percent off, people. Thirty percent any PFF subscription. If you play your cards right, you might just be able to get the draft guide for this draft. And hey, we got another one coming out soon for next draft. Get pretty much three hundred sixty five day coverage from the fine folks at PFF. That's gonna wrap up this episode of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Andrew, good stuff as always. Let people know what you got in the docket.
1: Yeah, so. First of all, yes, get the draft guide. Use the promo code. It's $28 with the promo code. That's less than two burrito bowls delivered by DoorDash. I did the math. Do it. Get the draft guide. But coming up this week, I got only one more piece coming out, and I'm looking at trends from all the NFL GMs. I remember when I was looking at the Jaguars, I found it really interesting that Trent Bulky head drafted running backs on all of his past teams. So I want to look a little bit more in depth at some of these teams, especially with newer GMs, just see kind of where they stem from, see if we can pick up getting any, any indications about where they may be leaning towards in the draft earlier or later on. So yeah, that's all.
0: Interesting stuff, man. So you, you always do DoorDash for Chipotle. You don't go pick it up
1: no man i got dude i'm I'm grinding the tape man i don't got time
0: bro i actually don't mind hot take here i don't mind lines like for chipotle and stuff like that it's a nice it's like all right there's nothing i can do to move up we have kind of a hectic day usually here's my (laughs) chance to chill you know traffic pisses me off because like there's bad drivers but just standing in line but no my local chipotle they're doing like mobile order only now so i'm like I I don't want this, man. I I think Chipotle tastes 10 times better when you can get it there yourself and eat in the store. So that's my gripe. And if any uh, Chipotles listening to the podcast want (laughs) to help make uh, the one in Columbus, Ohio, off of fifth, uh, you know, accept my walk-in orders again. It'd be much appreciated. But enough of that. Thank you, Andrew, for the time, as always, brother, at Andrew Erickson underscore. Find me on Twitter, at I And thank you, as always, for supporting the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.